0: A podcast one production.
1: Hello everyone, thanks for joining us. This is Hookline and Sinkers' Back to Basics fishing series and here there are no silly questions. This is the place where we strip it back, making it easier for you to get down to the water and enjoy the great sport of angling. I'm Luke McCredden and joining me are Nick Diagon and Andrew Hart, hosts of the long-running TV show Hook, Line & Sinker, a fishing show that's always put the fun before the fish. Our first three episodes have covered the gear required to go fishing, then finding a location to put all that gear to work, then the part of rigging, knot-tying and baiting up, but now things get real. This is episode four, Fish On!, And, Andrew, there's not much like the feeling of being hooked up to a fish. Fish on, Luke. Uh, Look, I spoke in episode one about
2: the fizz, the buzz, the adrenaline rush that fishing gives you, and, and that is what hooking a
0: fish is all about. Fish on, Andrew. It's become, I'm saying, it's my catch cry. Uh, I'm I'm taking ownership of fish on because fish on, I, I make a conscious effort every time I hook a fish yeah. to say out loud, usually too loud, fish on. Yeah, um, it doesn't happen
2: many times nah, during the day, like well, it's, uh,
0: you know, once but, or twice maybe. But it is, it is always an occasion to be celebrated. Um, and Correct. particularly for our people who are following this series, this is the time where all that pre-prep pays off. Having a fish on the end of your line—that's yep. that's the part that we kind of need to focus on. That is the 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 good angling, bit. you don't want to rush that part. You don't want to um, you know speed over that. It's not about getting it in as quickly as possible necessarily, because that's kind of the good bit. <laughs> Sometimes you can't get it in quickly. No. One battle that
2: comes to mind happened recently, and I, I it wasn't on the show, so there were no cameras. Uh, I took a bunch of my mates. Might surprise you, I've got other friends than you, Nick and Luke. Really? Mm. Um, but I took a bunch. of My mates, who were sort of farmer blokes back in Tasmania. Farmer friends. Yeah. I just sort of hang around them to be (laughs) cool. What sort of shoes
0: do you wear when you're hanging around with your farmer? (laughs) I try and wear my Blunstons just to sort of fit in. (laughs) To blend in.
2: Yes. But look, they'd never caught a big fish. And uh, we went out this day off Tasmania, off the East Coast, right out to the shelf in an old Bertram boat, which sort of just went. Out we went and we fished all day, catching nothing, catching nothing until the very last sort of hour of the day, around about three o'clock in the afternoon. We hooked a swordfish. Mm. Now, these boys had never caught a big fish before Mm. and this swordfish went berserk. I mean, they're they're renowned as being the
0: toughest fish in the ocean. In all of the ocean, in all of the seven seas, the swordfish is number one, the gladiator of the seas. Correct. Um... It's probably deviating some distance from what this series is yeah, no, sort of talking about. But, to yeah, no, do, do, it, do go <laughs> on with the swordfish story.
2: Because, <laughs> I mean, the rig's very similar. Yeah, You're yeah. Fishing in 500 metres of water. Um, but anyway, hook this swordfish. I brought all the gear except for the fighting belt and harness, which was a bit of an oversight. Ooh. So no belt, no harness, a very heavy fishing rod and a huge fish. We fought that fish into the night for four hours. We all had a go on the rod, except me, because obviously i caught big fish in the past. So yeah. you know, I, was just, <laughs> I was just there uh, just, just uh, telling them what farming, to do, Yeah, yeah to- talking about farming <laughs> and the crop and the sheep. Uh, and look, the boat was overheating, so we couldn't really chase it. It was dark. It was just the best battle I can remember. And we landed that fish and we brought it aboard and it was, it was just one of the greatest Uh, fishing moments I reckon I've ever experienced. We got home at midnight. My wife wasn't happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I can see what you're saying, to bring all those people into that environment. You know, for me, I I was always kind of sceptical. I used to say um, back in the day that there was nothing really you couldn't catch on anything, you didn't need anything heavier than 15 kilo line. Yep. And that was until the first time I ever went shark fishing. And this was on the show, yes. and it was very, very early days back in, I don't know, you know, early 2000s. Uh, and we went with a guy out off the East Coast and we burleyed up for hours to catch a shark. And shark fishing is an interesting thing in that you often see the shark you're going to catch before you catch yep. it. And it's quite unexpected, particularly when you've been lulled into that, you know, sort of serene, just burling, just bobbing around on the ocean. And anyway, when a big shark did turn up, and uh, we fed it a bait and hooked it up, it was a big mako shark. And (laughs) if anyone's familiar with those, they are the fastest sharks in the sea. And and they jump, you know, they jump out of the water. And not only do they jump, Luke, but they jump 15, 20 feet in the air, you know, like a... uh, Exocet missile. It is quite something to see. <laughs> so that was the first time that I had ever been connected to a really big, really serious game fish and, and wasn't in the position where I could just wind it in. So that again took me four hours. I don't know, I think I probably had a belt, but I don't know that I had a harness. And I remember toward the end of that four hours, thing. this is Very, very taxing indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And not being entirely sure uh, whether I shouldn't just give the rod to somebody else and go have a lie down. Um, But I managed to man up and, and get it in. But, you know, to have a big, powerful fish on the end of your fishing line for that period of time you know, illustrates the point that it, it's a good sport and it's a great thrill to do something like that. But, and the um, fights
1: are what are the memorable parts in a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, I suppose to bring it back and recap to get to where we are now because the line's in the water. Episode yes. three, the line's out there. We've baited up and done it all. So now we're at the point in episode four of getting a bite, hopefully. So we've got the gear. We brought the outfit. We've chosen our place to fish. We've rigged and baited and cast yes. out there. The next step, Andrew, how do we know if there's a fish on the line?
2: Look, a bite, Luke, is a tug on the line. I think there's a, isn't there a saying in fishing one jerk at one end waiting for a jerk at the other end or something? I've um, not heard that. Haven't you? Oh, <laughs> I just made it up. It's <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Could. Uh, you, so it <laughs> you could put it on a mug. You uh, could put it on a mug. So, look, we're, we're waiting for a tug on the line. There's a few different bites. Some fish bite quite timid. So, you know, they'll come up and they'll just sort of nibble the bait and you'll see your rod tip perhaps just sort of bounce up and down gently. Uh, If you're using a hand line, you'll just feel sort of tap, 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 tap. The fish hasn't actually eaten the bait, but he's just there sort of nibbling at it, getting a taste of it. Now, those bites are very difficult to hook. You're going to talk about setting the hook in a minute, Nick, but the bites that you want uh, is just when basically your rod gets pulled in the water. So a fish eats the bait, swallows the bait down, and the fish is on and the fish is swimming off and the, and the fish has hooked itself for you. They're the bites that you want. Now, the biggest bit of advice that I can offer in identifying a bite mm-hmm. is making sure that you are in contact with your hook. So mm-hmm. whether it's a handline or a fishing rod, slack line is the enemy. If you've got slack line, you won't see the bite. Does that make sense?
0: That's exactly right. It's a bit like the um, you know, the old telephone you used to have as a kid, which was two cans connected by a piece of string. You are probably too young for that, Drew, to have them, but yeah, I used to well, run we had, around. We had with mobile phones, stops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to run around with uh, <laughs> empty cans and pieces of string all over the place. So if you didn't have the string tight... Oh, it didn't work. So I guess identifying a bite, you're relying on that vibration to travel up your line yes. to the end of your rod or your finger. Yeah, so you can
2: feel it. Yeah. Now,
0: the other thing, if the bite isn't just a whack and the fish is on, yeah.
2: generally if they're nibbling at it and, and you just see your rod nibble, nibble, and you, or you feel the nibble, nibble, they will get the bait from the hook. Yes. So if the nibble goes away yep. and you haven't caught him yep. or if you strike, which we'll talk about in a minute, and you don't hook him, generally they'll take in the bait, which yes. means wind it in, put a new bit of bait on and throw it back out no, there. And happen. probably throw it back out in the same spot because fish are not that smart. He'll probably – or it will still be there waiting. He will come
0: back. Yeah. All right, so we're getting a bite. We're getting a bite. Look, getting a bite. We yeah. need it's exciting. To, we need oh. to then go about setting the hook, and setting the hook is a fishing term, and basically what it means is um, driving the hook point through the, uh, the jaw of the fish, and you have the fish then hooked. We talked in episode one about fish hooks that you might buy and the fish hooks that we would recommend. My number one recommendation for bait fishing, pretty much any kind of bait fishing, is a circle pattern hook. So it's a strange-looking hook where the bar basically points back at the shank of the hook, and and when you look at them, you think there's very little chance that a fish will hook up on that. But they I do. I still don't understand no. how they
2: work. I've seen people try and explain, you know, explain how they explain work it and demonstrate, but I still, my little brain still doesn't work yeah, out how they work.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to explain <laughs> it to you, Drew. So the circle hook, the key here essentially is do nothing. You don't set the hook because if you strike, which is what we call when we lift the rod to apply some force to the hook, you know, some upward force, some hooking force, if you strike, generally speaking, the circle hook with the bait attached will just come out of the fish's mouth without having rolled to the point where it will find the barb or the point of the hook. So with the circle hook, and this is important information, basically do nothing. By all means, pick your rod up if you're have if you not holding it. By all means, pick your rod up yep. and maintain real contact with your line, and as soon as as the bite goes from being a tap-tap to solid weight, then you can lift and then you can set the hook and then we're away. Then we've got the fish on. And if you are using a circle hook and you do that correctly, you've got him. He's hooked. It'll be hooked right in the corner of the mouth and the chances of the fish getting off are very low.
2: The most difficult thing with that, I reckon, is doing nothing because you're actually feeling this tug and the tug's getting... You know, more and more and, and more and more and more and you're yeah. just saying, oh, I'm going to rip it out. I'm going to strike. You yeah. know, I've got to do
0: something. Yes, I must um, do something.
2: Yes, but getting the feel for the circle hook is very, very good. You just sort of wind slowly into it and yep. fish on. And there's fish weight on. and then fish
0: on. Fish on. That's yeah. my thing. I Sorry. say that. Oh, the, what um, about
2: if if you're using more of an octopus hook or a I just, just wanted a normal... to quickly go Sorry. back, Andrew, just to, um, yes. just to
0: clarify in your fish mind on, as much yes. anybody <laughs> else's mind about the way the um, the circle hook works, yes. I believe the fish sort of changes direction. You need the fish to turn, yeah. take the boat, turn. It just, it just works. It just works. Correct. It That's just works. That's
2: the best way to think about it. All right. It
0: just works. Now, if, if at the point in the tackle shop you yes. said, oh, I don't like the look of these circle hooks, they look stupid, they won't work, yes. and you bought a... J pattern hook, octopus. an octopus hook, yes. or a suicide hook. Um, then you will have to do uh, some hook setting. Yes. Um, so if we've got a J hook on and we're getting a bite, um, again it, it's about it's a it's a little bit of a timing thing, isn't it? You want the fish to have the hook and the bait in its mouth. So yes. that the tiny little tap taps are hard to hook. You you're unlikely to get the hook. You need the tap tap big tap hit. <laughs> and that's what I'm Did saying. You do that again? Tap, tap, big tap, hit. Yes. Fish on. Fish uh, on. Fish on. Yes. Fish on. yes. Um, and in which case, now, it's also important there that um, particularly with those J-style hooks um, that you are in contact with your bait because what will happen often if you're not is the fish will come along and they'll eat your hook and your bait uh, and swallow it down um, and it's really very easy for those Styles of hooks to hook fish deep. So if yeah. the hook, if the fish swallows the thing into its, you know, its gullet, gills, gills, gullet, whatever, yeah. and, and you strike, then then you will hook the fish down deep. And if it's a fish you want to release, then it's very very difficult to do so. So stay in contact. If you're using a circle, don't do anything until you've got good weight. If you're using a J, stay in contact. If you feel tap tap, then a good tap, hit him. I that's
2: love it. I love it. So we've hooked our fish. Yep. Mm. Luke, we've hooked our fish. It's time to
1: fight. Is that it? It's no, not even – we haven't started. No. It's time to <laughs> fight this fish. <laughs> but the beauty here is and, – and, and, and we've all touched on this point so far, and I think it's a very vital one when it comes to the fighting of the fish too, and that is slackline is your enemy. And I yes. think that's just about number one, Nick, when – fighting with any sort of fish, whether it be a swordfish or yep. a, a mullet off a pier. You know, a yep. fish
0: hook is designed to be pulled from the eye to maintain its position in the fish, to yep. m- maintain positive hookup. If you if you let the line go slack, all you've really got then holding the hook in is the barb. Honey. Yeah, it's
2: not a very big thing,
0: is it? No. And add to that the fact that
2: most fish have a pretty hard mouth. Yep. So, yeah, if the hook's in and you're keeping pressure on, the hook will stay in. But if the hook's sort of just in and you've got pressure on, the hook's in, it's all good, it's all good, and then the pressure goes for whatever reason, slack line, mm. there's a very, very good chance the hook will fall out.
0: Fishing rods are brilliant in this circumstance because as long as there is a bend yeah. in the end of your rod, mm. that indicates that there is positive pressure on the line. So what we need to think about when we're when we're winding a fish in is keeping a nice progressive Bend in our fishing rod. Um, If we're doing that, you know, if the rod's going straight or it's whipping back or if you're wildly and erratically lifting and whining as my kids do uh, and, you know, the rod sort of goes wildly backwards and forwards, then at some point in that stroke you're giving the fish slack line.
1: Mm, Which brings me to the next pretty important point about fighting the fish and that is don't panic because yes. there is a sense of wanting to wind the handle of your reel or pull the line on a hand line as fast as you can because you've finally got a bite. But the key here is just to take your time, I
0: it? think early doors, panic hard. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I scream. think panic as much as you can. I think panic, <laughs> run around screaming, go hard, um, you know, throw the whole lot into the water if you need to. <laughs> the first few uh, fish
2: I caught on a fly rod when I was Oh, a my kid, God, yeah. Because there's a bit to that. Yeah. I just basically ran up the bank. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I'm
0: sorry. laughs> I
2: ran backwards up the bank and I couldn't go fast enough backwards, so I turned around and ran forward up the bank and I looked back and there's this little tiny trout flapping on the shore. (laughs)
0: Yep, fish on. Fish on, yes. (laughs) Um, No, it's a good point, obviously. Um, Try not to drop your bundle. But it is exciting. (laughs) Don't worry too much if you're panicking and running around. But, yes, constant, steady pressure. Um, Erratic
1: movement almost in all walks of life. Luke is not a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. We should uh, bring up early in the series, episode one, we, when we were talking about the gear, we spoke about reels. Yep. We mentioned briefly about drag. Yes. Now, this is where it actually comes into play.
0: Yes, indeed. So your line will have a, a rated breaking strain. Yep. It's a known quantity.
1: Yeah, so you know, let's well,
2: we we recommended that people get a five kilogram fishing line or a ten pound fishing line yep. to start. Yep. So that means that at five kilograms, that line will break. Yep. So if you're lifting a five kilogram weight up, yep, weight up, it'll snap at five kilograms.
0: Yep. Um, Is that right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And particularly because you've tied a knot in it, which will, um, to some extent, lower yep. the breaking strain of it by, uh, you know, yep. plus or minus. So it'll
2: probably break at four kilograms. Probably. So if we hook a big fish. Not a fish necessarily that's five kilos or over. No, but a fish that is going to put pressure on that line to more than five kilos. And mm. and look, a, you know, a one kilo salmon could do that. Yes, easily. Yes, easily. Your line will snap.
0: That's exactly right. So you will notice your spinning reel that we bought in episode one, our three thousand size spinning reel has on the front of it a knob which you can turn. That is the drag knob, which is in a sense is a clutch, which will allow that reel to slip to give line. So I think the long held theory is set your drag Luke at one third the breaking strain of the
1: line. That's so it's getting technical. It is getting technical. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, we could we could really get lost in that. I think as a as from a really starting point in a, a beginner's sort of view of drag systems, Nick, yeah. it's probably just a case of doing it with your hand to get the feel that you want. So what do you do? Mm. You get your kid and you tie your line to the kid. Yep. Yeah.
2: And you get your kid to run around the house yep. and you set your drag. Dogs aren't bad for that, are Dogs they? are good
0: for it. <laughs> yeah, Cats <they> are
2: rubbish. <laughs> terrible. Um, terrible. But yeah, dog or a kid, yep. tie it to them, get them to run around the lawn and you want a nice bend in your rod but you want your drag to be uh, letting line out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in that circumstance, there really is no reason or no excuse. I mean, plenty of excuses, but no real reason that you should ever bust your no, fish No, well, that's off, right. Bust a fish off. If because-
2: you've learnt the uni knot, yep. that doesn't break. Yep. The line won't break unless it's damaged, but, yep. you know, let's say it's not damaged. If the drag is set, the fish can do what it likes. You can hook a huge
0: fish. And it can swim off. Correct. For 100 metres out to sea. Yep. And if the hook doesn't fall out, you'll be able to wind it back in. And the whole purpose of the drag is it's tiring the
2: fish out. Yeah. So the fish is always fighting against the drag and it's also towing the line through the water. Yep. So that's sometimes if you've got too much line out, you don't want too much drag because it's pulling, you know, a big belly line through the water as well as bending the rod and pulling the drag off the reel.
0: To take you back to your swordfish fight from earlier in the episode, yep. there will be many times during that fight where you'll, you will actually wind the fish in to the point where you can see it and you yes. think, oh, we're going to catch this fish now and yep. then it will decide, no, you're not, and it will swim away 100 metres yep. away from the There's nothing you can do about it. If you just clamp down on the reel and say, come here, try and
2: muscle him in, the line's just going to snap. Yeah. So you let him go. So that's the same out. for a mullet or a salmon or a yep. flathead or a trevally yep. because you're using lighter line. And the one third thing yep. of your line, that yep. is the rule. So if you're thinking your line is, I'm going to say six kilos, yep. because I, better at, I'm better at maths, yeah. You set your drag at two kilos. And if you <laughs> want to do that, and it is getting technical. You could get a, a little pair of scales, yeah, yeah you and say so yep. when when the line is slipping from the reel, two kilos on the scales, and you know that your drag is set. Then you never have to touch it. Having said all of that, yeah. it's not something
0: that I've done ever or, done. I've done ever. it once or twice with very light line, but yep. it's not something that I routinely do. So no. the point about the one third drag, it's a guesstimate. Just make sure that it comes off
1: the reel. Just make breaking. sure
0: the drag is set.
1: Yes. You're listening to Hookline and Sinker, Back to Basics Fishing Series. If you're enjoying the series, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Just hit 5 stars and tell us what you like about the series and why. You can get in touch with us and say good on our Facebook page, Hookline and Sinker Australian Fishing Show. Okay, so we are officially, Nick, if you don't mind me saying, mm-hmm. fish on. I do mind you saying Do me. I apologise. But we've made sure that our line is tight. We're yep. connected to this fish confidently. Yes. Our drag is set. There's a bend in the rod. There's a bend in the rod. I would say the few seconds after that fight and between landing it is probably the most crucial. It's when a lot of fish are lost, Andrew. So when we're at this point, the fish is here. Right. It's, it's so that, we've got the fish at our feet. We've got a fish at our feet. Right. But now comes a bit of a challenging part, depending on where you are. It's so close, you can almost touch it. You can
2: almost touch Mm. it. But but as
1: you say, Luke,
2: this is when heartbreak, Mm. the heartbreak in fishing exists. There's the fish. I can see it. It's a trophy. I'm going to put it on the
0: wall. It's gone. It's
2: gone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's the most (laughs) empty feeling. I would argue that every angler has had that gutted yep. feeling of seeing the fish boat side yep. or jetty side or on the beach and then just losing it.
0: And then you tell everyone how big it was. <laughs> yeah. It gets bigger every time. Yes, it yes. does. It's true uh, that. This is the art of landing the fish. Yes. So it kind of changes, I guess, depending on where you are. Now, if you imagine yourself um, standing on the inspection head wharf where there is a an eight-foot gap between yeah. you, the platform that you're standing, and the water. Big high jetty, yeah. And you've got a fish on, what's the process?
2: Mm. Well, there's only, I mean, there's only one process.
0: By and large, there's only one process. You, you've got to lift the you thing You pull up. it up. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Last time we were there filming a show, I snapped a rod doing just that. Exactly right. So, you know, it's not as easy as you think. So I guess you've got to look at the fish and think to yourself, is that fish mm. small enough that I can pull it up?
0: Yes. So by polling it up, we're just saying lift it up with the rod. Is that what you're saying? Lift
2: it up with the rod and
0: try and swing it try and swing, swing it. it swing it on the jetty um so that's one method the polling it up which hugely puts risky though. Hugely hugely ris- probably the most risky <laughs> oh, polling it up ridiculous um, because the hook could fall out yeah the hook could the fall. line could snap yeah the if rod you, could break if you high stick your
2: rod that's a fishing term nick uh if you high stick your rod it can snap
0: yes mm. um so beyond polling the fish up yes. then that we're putting the rod down and potentially elevating the fish on the line, not you taking the rod oh, out of the... she, and, and sort of hand, lining, hand lining the fish Gently, out. gently. Gently, gently. I think that probably increases your chances a little bit. I'm more of a polar. Um <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just think, right, let's get the fish on
0: the... Yeah, on maybe. The maybe.
2: Um, but no, I can see what you're saying. I think that has merit. Yeah. But look, what if the fish is um, is too big?
0: Well, that in that circumstance, you kind of need a net, a landing net, a landing net, a long landing net. Fortunately, it doesn't often happen that you won't that you'll catch a fish that's too big. But um, it is, you know, if you are fishing from that kind of location, it is something that you need yeah. to ha- give some thought to. How am I going to get my fish? We've up here?
2: We've spent twenty years making a fishing show, yep. and it wasn't until the last two years that we had a net that we had a landing net. Yeah.
0: And gee, they're good. Oh, it changed our lives. It really, did. yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so all you do with the landing net is you get the fish to the top of the water, Yeah, uh, you know, he sort of stops flapping a bit and you put the net under him. Yeah, And then you mm. lift him aboard yeah. or ashore and, and uh, they're great.
0: Head
1: first is always good into the net. Head first net, into so the net. Swim in. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. we're not always at the jetty or
0: pier. No, obviously not. So, um, you know, more... Or less difficult than that is, um, you know, if you're on the banks of a river or a lake yep. or even on the beach. You know, if you're on the beach, you use a bit of the wave action to help wash the fish in. Just keep, make sure you keep tight, keep that uh, bend in your rod and as the wave sort of washes the fish in, you um, you, you beach take a couple of steps yeah. backwards and beach the fish yeah. and drag them up the beach. And similarly, on the banks of a river or a lake, yeah. you don't have the wave to help you. You, beach you just the fish sledge, too. Yeah. sledge them up the bank. Sledge them up the bank. Yeah. And then we've got, basically, we've got our fish there, flapping
2: on the back, on
1: the jetty, yeah, on the beach. Look, something that people will find in tackle stores when they're talking about landing fish is is a thing called a gaff. Yes, which effectively is a big giant hook on a stick. Yep,
0: it is a big giant hook on a stick, and for um for the uninitiated, it's a bit of a um a challenging device to get your head around. Yeah, um, it's typically used in. Game game fishing. fishing applications and that sort of thing. You don't see a lot of people jetty fishing with gaps. No, I suspect if you're using a three
2: thousand size reel and five kilo line,
0: you're getting most things up.
2: You're getting most things up that yep. you're catching, aren't you? Yep. yep. And look, if you hook a big fish off a jetty too, you can beach it. Often, you just yep. have to walk, go for a walk, and the so, other you know, thing drag is drag the fish to where the jetty.
1: Join us the shore. And generally, if it's a really big fish, the yep. peop, other people in the oh, jetty are excited. Right. Everyone. you want to a get crowd. Involved. They'll be doing yes. a Mexican
0: wave behind you. Don't worry yeah. about that. Landing nets will appear. Yes. Experts will appear. We've yes. Never wait. had more friends. No, no. Um, so, you know, it's not a deal breaker if you haven't got a net. Lovely thing to have if you do. But now we've got our fish, Luke. Yeah, we do. We've got it. We have caught a fish and that's a very, very exciting and seminal time in our fishing lives. But um, I guess... You need to identify the fish, Andrew. That's probably the first step. You Uh, need to know that the fish isn't going to hurt you (laughs)
2: because there are quite a few fish that can hurt you quite badly. Look, spikes. Spikes. Uh, you know, like uh, Gurnard, or there's a fish in the in Queensland called a Happy Moment. Yes, which if it gets you, and I have been got by one. Yes. they're not happy moments, and they go on for hours, and your whole hand blows up, and you think
0: fishing never again. Yeah, kudos mm. to the person who named the Happy Moment, yeah. the Happy Moment, <laughs> because it's just nicely understated, because it's really, really deeply unpleasant. Yes, and it's just a fairly innocuous, lovely looking, looking little fish, fish, beautiful looking fish. You want a, to cuddle it? Yeah, you know, it's um, lovely. Not you, even big spots. You grab it, and you eventually yeah. have. Whole upper body paralysis with searing <laughs> pain for the next three hours. Yeah. So, you know, from a, an identification perspective, in the states where you buy a recreational fishing license. Yes. At the time of purchase, you'll also be given a little booklet. And not only a booklet, there's apps that go along with those booklets that you put on your phone and whatever else. And they're brilliant in terms of species identification. Knowing what you've caught. All the, all you know, 95% of anything you're going to catch will be listed in that book with various descriptors and, and whether it's a good thing to eat or whatever else. And that's the other
2: thing. So once we've worked out what it is, then we work out is it edible and also is it of size, is it legal?
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So uh, legality is interesting, obviously, for fish species that are highly sought by people, um, the fisheries management plan, so the government's come in and said you can only have uh, so many of this fish and yeah. they've got to be this big and, you know, size limits, bag limits, all this sort of stuff. It is a vaguely vexed topic in that it changes markedly from state to state. These are all sort of state kind of limits. Um I thought it was an interesting... I just vaguely had a look last night. and You know, if you're looking at Snapper, the differences in Snapper, say, between Victoria and New South Wales, which yep. you know, is only maybe a metre apart in some places, Andrew. Yes. Um, you know, in <laughs> Victoria, the minimum size is 28 centimetres. You can have 10 of them, but only three can be more than 40 centimetres, whereas yes. in New South Wales, Wales, uh, the bag limit is 10 and the size is 30 centimetres. So, you know, it's kind of Australian salmon in Victoria, 21 centimetres, bag of 20 New South Wales, no minimum size, but only a bag of five. It's interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, kind of so it's changeable. So confusing. Yeah, um, check your got local got to, guides. You've got to
2: check your local guides. And but the reason for bag limits and size limits, yep. you would hope, and most of the time are, based on science. Yep. If you're going to manage a fishery, say for example, Snapper, yep. they grow quite slowly. And what you want is for your snapper to have had, you know, let's say, for example, two or three spawnings. And so once they reach you know, 28 centimetres in Victoria, and I'm making this up. um, You know, you'd hope that they've had two spawnings. So they've reproduced and they've made baby snapper and then, you know, you're able to take them out of the system sustainably.
0: South Australia has had an interesting time where their snapper fishery has basically been fished to the point of collapse and has been closed for all fishing for three years, so you know we are yep. huge supporters of, uh, of of size limits and of bag limits. You know, in most instances, they could be more restrictive, probably.
2: I think bag limits could be more restrictive. I yeah. think they're very generous. Uh, and as more and more people fish, yes. you need 20 salmon. No, you 20 need, salmon. It's, you need it's three salmon, you know. Yep. Um, but it's up to you to know it, and you can know it. So, as a rule of thumb, just check your local guides. It's your state fishing authority. So, just get on Google, go to the fisheries office if you need to. They've got the resources there yep. to not only identify your catch, but also tell you all the rules and regulations.
0: All right, so we've got our catch, we've got our fish, we've identified it, now we need to decide whether or not We are going to keep this fish or release it.
1: Yes, and there's a step there too that we probably need to think about, which is which is de-hooking of the fish if it's something that we're going to keep mm. or release. Well, we need in, to do in, it in either way. circumstance, yeah. we
0: probably need to do that. So, all right. So we have um, touched on the fact that fish can be prickly. Oh, no, I'm terrible at handling fish. You don't it. like touching re- fish. Well, they're slimy they're prickly <laughs> yeah. and they hurt lots of times. You, you know, whenever I touch them, I'm bleeding. Um, so look. If I was better (laughs) organised, at all times, Luke, I would have a wet rag or a nice wet towel or something to pick the fish up. That's pretty good, particularly because if it's wet and it's cool, their skin is obviously quite fragile. They're not... Accustomed to being picked up by hot handed humans, they yep. generally speaking have a cover of slime over their scales and whatever else. So, a wet rag is a great thing to pick them up with, doesn't do much damage to the fish. And then you've got to get the hook out,
2: yeah. So, pliers are good, yeah. Pliers are, pliers good. are good, even if you yeah. don't have a wet rag, you could maybe grab the hook if the hook's out of the mouth somewhere, yeah. Uh, you could grab the hook with the pliers, yeah. And and just you know, if the fish is small enough and still flapping,
1: you want to let it go, just Flick it off, mm. flick it off s- with There are situations where the hooks are quite deep and we've touched on yep. it. What do we do there? Because that can be a little bit, uh, you don't want to be handling them for too long or have them out of the water for too long. Or So what What are some of the scenarios that we could do to get rid of that hook? Those deeply hooked fish, I think it's
0: pretty well accepted that the best thing you can do for for a fish that's hooked deep, you know, in the gills or something, is not play around with the hook, you know, mm. not perform surgery with a pair of pliers. No, because
2: if you do that, you just pull their gills out. You
0: basically just kill it. Um, So as gently as possible and as close to the eyes of the hook as possible, just snip the line off. And if you're releasing the fish, release the fish back into the water with the hook in it. Most cases, um, particularly light gauge hooks, actually corrode and dissolve in very quick period of time. Yeah,
2: and people think that that sounds awful. But you think if a fish eats another fish, hmm. they're full of Bones. bones. So it's not uncommon spikes for fish to have bones and spikes and whatever else lodged in the in their gills and in their guts. And, yep. um, you know, it's been proven that you can do that and the fish lives.
0: Yeah, there's been quite a bit of research on this, you know, the, yeah. the survival rates of fish um, post-release and release with hooks and whatever else. And, and the release or the survival rate is actually pretty good. So don't feel too bad about putting uh, or releasing a fish that's that's got a hook deep down in its gills or its guts because uh, it's got a much better chance of survival dissolving that hook by itself, then you're getting it out.
1: Let's use the scenario that we've decided we're going to release the fish. Mm -hmm. What are some of the main things we should know and think about when we are releasing a fish?
0: The fish has just had a very, very bad day. <laughs> um, so it's, it's potentially upset and a bit groggy and, and uh, away with the fairies. So the best thing you can do if, if you are close to the water, you know, if you're on the banks of a river or a, or a dam or whatever or down at the beach is take the fish topside up, you know, up the right way and yep. get it into the water uh, speak to it softly. Speak to it softly and say so it's it, going to be all right, it, little fish. Everything's <laughs> going to be okay and hold it right way up and uh, slosh it backwards and forwards in the water to get some water moving over its gills. And in a relatively short space of time, it will probably just swim off. Swim off, away. out of yep. your hand, off to join its friend. We
1: should say, though, this is fish number one. We need yeah. to make sure that we take a quick photo.
0: Definitely. That's yeah. got to Definitely. be in there. We must take
2: yeah. the photo. But just be mindful that a fish out of water can't breathe so yeah. it's sort of suffocating the whole time so get it photo back in the water yep and let it go as quickly as you can try not to touch it as much as yeah you know, so that's where a wet rag comes in or wet hands yep look they're going to be tired so instead of just chucking it back in release it actually put it back in the water yeah, if, yeah.
0: and if you're on the jetty or whatever you know just try and drop it in so it does a nice Gently. head first dive you know yes. that uh, uh, water rushing over its gills, hopefully gets it going and away it swims.
1: Yeah, and now the scenario we've decided we're going to keep it. Yep. Yeah, so, so we've legal, caught a nice. legal, legal size. Yeah, yep. we're allowed to keep it. Yeah, what's the first step? What should we do? Yes, we've caught a
2: beautiful legal. Yep. What's the fish? Let's say it's a King George Whiting. Oh, nice! One of the best eating fish in the Probably sea. Probably the best eating. Could be. Yep. Arguably, um, we've got him flapping around. Now we actually looked uh, online in the RSPCA. Yep. have guidelines yep. uh, for humanely dispatching of a fish. And the first step is to stun the fish, which dogs is a tap on the head.
0: Basically, you know, fish live their life in water. They're very unaccustomed to a tap on the head and you, it, it is surprising how little force is required to put a fish to sleep. Yes. Hold you know, the fish. Hold the fish, use your pliers, hand. whatever, yep. a quick short sharp tap to the back of the head, you'll see the fish tense up and sort of uh, give a little bit of a kick and then kick no more. Yep. Then probably the best thing is to um, bleed the fish. Bleed which the is fish. To... So
2: yeah, a whiting probably doesn't need bleeding as much as other species, but some, salmon, fish are, yep. yeah, some fish are full of blood. Yep. Um, so the best thing, once you've stunned the fish with a whack on the head, yep. is to use a sharp knife and sort of cut him underneath the the throat, I guess. Cut yeah, sort
0: of, there's a small area where the gill meet the head, I guess, for want of a better word. And if you cut that area, the fish will bleed out and it will be uh, a better thing to eat as well. And then obviously the best thing you can do for it then from an eating perspective is whack it on ice if you happen to have some there.
2: Um, put it in a bucket with water. But yep. Yeah, yeah wrapped ice... up in
0: your wet towel, something like that. Cool. Keep it cool. Keep the worst it... thing you can do is cook it in
2: the sun Yeah, because then it's just gone and you've wasted it and you've wasted its life. Yes. So respect it. And an ice slurry is the very best thing you can do. You're probably yeah. not going to make an ice slurry your first day of fishing not. on a jetty. You're not. But, you know, as you go down the path of fishing, an ice slurry is just salt water and ice.
0: Do you know that uh, an ice slurry actually gets Below zero, yeah. You can freeze fish in it. That obviously. must be is this is that because of the salt water? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it lowers the freezing point, yeah. 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 it's quite good. So an ice lorry <laughs> is good, but obviously it's a big thing to carry around. Um, it is. Basically, wrap it up in your towel, keep it nice and cool yeah. uh, until you get home or to the point where you're going to clean your fish. When you've got a brace of fish, you know, this has been so successful to this point, yeah. I stop I've got run.
2: four beautiful 40-centimetre uh, King George whiting. Dinner mm. has taken been taken care of. Yeah. What am I going to do now, though? How am I going to cut these fish up? I can't just eat the whole fish.
0: No. Well, you can, and in... Some cultures they do. Certainly yeah. our travels to Japan have resulted in mm, the yeah, fish heads in and though. guts it's and disgusting. gills and things, yeah. um, which is a bit of a bridge. But if typically we don't eat um, heads and gills and guts. No. So cleaning the fish look. Hmm. There is an art to it. Yes, there is an art to it. Yep, that's fair That's fair to say. The more you yeah. do it, the, the better, better you, you get, get at it. Right? Yeah. Yep. Broadly speaking, there are two methods. The first method is to gut the fish.
2: Gut the fish. Yep. Um, That's the first method I learnt as a. so? here. So you put your knife in, uh, you know, halfway down the, fish the fish has a vent. The fish has a vent. Yeah. Uh, you put the knife in the vent and you run it up toward its gills. Yep. And cool. then probably the easiest way is just cut the head off. Yep. And all the guts will follow.
0: Yep, the head, the gills, the guts all come out as one neat unit basically. From that point, you use your knife to scale the fish or if you have a fish scaler, you can use that, but a knife works as well as anything, which is basically to run your knife against the grain of the scale. So the scales run from the head... To the tail. Yeah. If you run your knife from the tail to the head, you'll find that the scales all off. come off yep. very, very easily. they you know, most fish scale really easily. If we're talking about King George whiting, they scale beautifully and easily. So with head off, guts out, scales off, that fish is just about ready for the pan. But there is another way you can do
2: it. Yeah. Well, that's to fillet your fish. Now, you'll need a good knife, a sharp knife. And to fill it, your fish, we start at the head. We go in sort of to the backbone. So we cut down one half of the fish to the backbone. Does that make sense?
0: Typically, yes. So come in, you know, behind the pectoral fin, which is the little um, side fin.
2: Yep. And then once we hit the backbone with our knife, we turn our knife flat and run it down the backbone of the fish toward the tail. Yep. And that will lift off a nice fillet of fish. Now, that fillet of fish will have uh, rib cage bones in it, yep. so we can just trim those out. Yep. And there's also often little what we call pin bones, which sort of run uh, at the sort of start of the fillet, so we can trim those out as well.
0: Yes, and, and don't worry about this because... I have filleted a lot of fish in my time, and I always think I could get better at filleting fish. Yeah. It, it takes practice. It takes yep. a bit of work. But it, it's not beyond the scope of a first-time angler to have a crack at it. You no, probably no, no. won't do a great job, but the next one you do will be better. You can have yeah.
2: a fillet knife, yes. which helps. So it's a yep. flexible, long, yep. sharp knife. And then once you filleted your fish, you can also – Skin your fish. Yep. Uh, which again is just a reversal. Basically, you just uh, run the knife along the skin, and the skin comes off. It's it's look. It's it's harder than it sounds, um, but it just needs practice. Yep. YouTube,
1: YouTube it by um, all means. We are ready to get to the delicious part of fishing, Andrew, and yes. that is of course eating. We've done the hard work. We've we've caught, obviously the whole process leading up to catching the fish has been a journey, a fun one. Hopefully, we've done the dirty work of cleaning up the fish, and now it's you've got some beautiful fillets. Now. Nick, I'm lucky enough to live in Melbourne, so I, I'm saying I've got three of the most delicious fish species in the country. Let's have them look. If not the world. All right. King George Whiting, we've just spoken about that. Correct. Flathead. Yeah. Yeah, and the, top ten. Yep. And the humble calamari, the squid. Yes, uh,
0: yeah, all good, all good bread and butter species. Mm. Um, you can't do too much wrong with any of those. I guess for me, and, and because this series is all about bringing it back to basics, we've all grown up with fish and chips, you know, fish and batter, King George Whiting, pretty much anything, a beer batter, and this... A beer batter? A beer batter. This, you know, people go on and on about how you need ice cubes and soda water and Japanese flour. You don't need any of that, Andrew. What you need is beer, Yes. Uh, which is never too never, too never far gonna be a problem. Your you, know. house ties, uh, no. you need full Frigida. strength beer though. That's important. You don't want any of the low carb beer. This because it's gotta have quite a bit of sugar content in it, carb content. And then you need self raising flour and you combine those two elements together yes. in the quantities that give you the Consistency of batter you want, Luke. That's all you need. So it can go from being quite um, an English-style beer batter Mm. if you make it thick Mm. or down to a tempura batter, Andrew, if you make it thin. (laughs) A tempura beer batter, Nick. Yes, indeed. I defy you to tell the difference. And then you just slosh your fish around in that and then whack it in the deep fryer, bang, done. Okay. And people will think it's fantastic. You need a
2: deep fryer, though. For that, It's better, yep. 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 All right, well, my favourite recipe, if I was to uh, eat, let's say, flathead fillets, yep. boneless, skinless flathead fillets, I would crumb it in something. I would usually mm-hmm. crumb it in uh, breadcrumbs, yep. panko crumbs. You can buy them from the supermarket. Yep. You could add some parmesan cheese to those crumbs. Yep. You can even crumb it in things like cornflakes. Yeah. Right. Salt and vinegar chips. That's oh. a good one. Not bad. Salt and vinegar chips, get them, crunch them up, get an egg, well, first of all, I flour the fish, yep. then I put it in an egg mix, yep. and then I crumb it. And you don't need a deep fryer for this. You just need a little tiny bit of oil in a pan Yes. and a uh, hot oil, and it sizzles and it, you get this crispy, beautiful outer crust with some lovely steamed fish inside, Luke.
0: And I guess that's the point, isn't it? Because they, each that adding that coating, whether it be a batter or a crumb or whatever, yes. allows the fish to essentially steam. You not fish are really um, they don't like to be overcooked and they don't like they dry out easily. Particularly those you know flatheads and things like that.
2: Yes. So
1: a little casing is a great way to. Cook You're them. a batter man. I'm uh, a crumb man, yeah. Luke. I'm keeping it simple. Right. I, I'm saying there's some some situations where you don't need any of that and you can really just. Chuck them in a pan as is. Right. Enjoy okay. the natural flavours. No, a bit of butter or something? Bit, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Some a bit of lemon, butter or something. A bit some of lemon pepper. Yeah, so I am yeah. putting things on it. Yeah, I? of course. Yeah. You're right. So lemon yeah. pepper butter. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. Yeah. 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 Enjoy the natural flavour. Yeah. So there it is, guys. In this episode, we have made the massive leap from identifying when a fish is nibbling on your bait to setting the hook, landing, catching, cleaning, and even cooking your first fish. The journey to becoming a fishing guru, it's really gathering pace now. Remember, if you're still sketchy on some of the steps along the way, make sure you check out the first three episodes of the series where we set out... How to pick the right gear, how to find a good spot, how to rig up like a pro, and you'll need all of those skills because coming up next time, we're diving headfirst into the dark art of artificials. Episode 5 is The Lure of Lures, and we hope you can join us then. Hook, Line and Sinker is a Podcast One Australia production. Produced by Dave Zwalensky, Audio production by Darcy Thompson.